0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. If you have your Bibles, um, if you don't, since you're home, run, find it. uh, I'm going to keep talking while you're running, but... uh... It would be good for you to have God's word in front of you today. Uh, We're gonna open up to John chapter eight in your Bibles this morning. Uh, And we're gonna take a look at what for me is, I think of one of the most inspirational, life-changing of the I am statements that Jesus makes. And it came at the end of one of the greatest, grace-filled moments In the ministry of Jesus, I believe. It's John chapter 8, verse 12 is the the I am statement. Danielle read it to us a moment ago. I want to read it again. It says this, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, if you follow Jesus... Jesus' commitment to you is you will never have to walk in darkness, which is a good thing because darkness is, is scary, uh, right? It, it can be scary out there. Uh, how many of you as little kids might have been afraid of the dark? Anybody afraid of the dark? I, I was one of those, you know? Some of you are saying, look, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a little kid. I'm a grown-up, and I'm still afraid of the dark, you know? Uh, you remember as, as kids, maybe, how just a little bit of light could just make everything better? Just, just a small, something as small as, you know, just a little nightlight. And and Why? Well, we believed when we were kids that somehow the light had a special power to keep the monsters at bay. You know those monsters that lived in our closets, we thought, or lived under our bed? It was like the light was a, a force field that just kept them, kept them in, their, in their hiddenness. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You remember, you know, you wouldn't let your, your hand fall off the edge of your bed or your leg drape a, you know, off the edge of your bed for fear someone would reach up and snatch you, you know. Or when, when you had to go to the bathroom, instead of just stepping down out of your bed, first you would stand up on your bed and then you would jump as far as you could so that whatever was under your bed couldn't grab your foot. You know, we, we, we did that. You know, childhood fear that kind about darkness, was about something that really didn't exist. And truthfully, that's uh, so much a part of what real darkness in this world is like. Some of it is about things that really don't exist, that don't have power over us. But then there are other things. Because, you know, we, we think and we know that light can really change everything in, in darkness. Some of you know that, that Kathy and I live out in the woods. And it gets really dark at night in the woods. And one of the things, one of my, um, one of my roles in our household is I take the, the big garbage can receptacle out to the road every Tuesday night. And that's from my house to the road is about a 250, 300 foot trek. Um, that I'm, and I'm rolling the, the, the trash can out there. And I'm always afraid that as I'm going out there in the dark, that I'm going to step on a snake. Those of you who know me know I hate snakes. Live, dead, or rubber. I don't care. I just hate, I hate snakes. And uh, some of you also know, if you've been hanging out with us for a while, we've had some rather strange incidents take place up in our woods at night. Um, We had a police chase, massive police chase end in our front yard. Uh, There were 20, 30 police cars, dog canine units out there chasing this uh, suspect through the woods. Earlier, a couple years before that, we had a guy crossing through our, right across our, in front of our porch. Uh, He he had a gun um, in in his belt, and he was walking across our yard. He had just broken into a house uh, behind us uh, on the other side of our woods. And uh, some of you know that not too long ago, we had this guy standing on our porch. We caught him with our ring doorbell. He was wielding a machete, Um, So there's some scary things that happen out in the woods and, and at dark. So sometimes when I'm taking my garbage can out on Tuesday nights and I'm walking in the dark, I'm wondering who's in these woods looking at me that I can't see. And so this past week, our floodlights, some of the floodlights on our house had gone out. And so I replaced our floodlights And I I, I replaced our floodlights with these super high-powered LED lights. You know, more power. (laughs) We got to have more power, don't you? Yeah, we got to. And so when I put those puppies up, I now live, like, turn them on in the brightest spot in town. It's just, it just, it's like football stadium lighting. I can light those woods up. I can see my feet all the way to the road. It's like, it's almost like walking in, in the, in the daylight. And I even hooked it up to Alexa. And so I can say, Alexa, turn on balcony. And what's really funny right now is some of you at home, your Alexa's trying to turn on your balcony. But, you know, you'll have fun with that one later. So I I really can't wait for my back floodlights to go out so I can light the woods up behind me next, too. But one of the things that we see all through God's Word is there is this contrast between light and darkness. The Bible, on the opening page, the first few sentences, we see God dealing with this issue of darkness. The Bible tells us that the, the whole earth was covered in darkness. And God's first words that we know about, God speaking, said, let there be what? Light. God said, let there, let there be Light. And the Bible tells us that God saw the light and that it was good. Now, the the Bible doesn't tell us how God felt about the darkness, but it must not have been good as the light because he separated, the Bible says. And so there's this contrast in the Bible between light and darkness, between God and Satan. Some of you maybe in freshman English might remember having to read Paradise Lost by John Milton. And and, and John Milton, one of the things that he refers to Satan as is as the prince of Of darkness. Jesus, when he called the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, that great encounter the great Apostle had with the risen Jesus, Jesus made a contrast between light and darkness. It's recorded in Acts chapter 26 verses 17 and 18. Jesus said to Paul when he called him to ministry, he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes that they may turn from what? That they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of of, of what? The power of Satan to the power of God. So there's this contrast and this comparison between darkness with Satan and and, and light with the power of God. And all throughout Scripture, we see this. And so Jesus, in his ministry is now obviously teaching, talking about this, and the statement that he makes in John chapter 8, verse 12, when he says, I'm, I'm the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me will not have to walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, if you've grown up anywhere kind of around the church world, you've probably heard that, that statement before. But I've found that lots of folks aren't connected with the context in which Jesus made that, of that famous, if you would, of the seven I am statements that, that Jesus made that, that we're studying uh, over these weeks. That statement comes after one of the greatest grace-filled stories in the Bible. I'm sure you're probably familiar a little bit with the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. And it's right after this story that Jesus makes this statement in John eight twelve. And one of of my Bible professors used to always tell us context is king when it comes to fully understanding a passage. So that's what I want us to do today. I want us to examine John 8, verse 12, in light of what came before it. And I want us to unpack this personal encounter this woman caught in the act of adultery has with Jesus because it has helped my heart and mind more deeply embrace Jesus As the light of the world and the light of my world, embrace him personally. And I've been praying that the same will be true for you as you walk through his word with me together today. So, to help us, I want to point out what I think of as three big movements, three big truths that actually help us kind of step into the light of life that Jesus has for us. Here's the first one The perfect law of God exposes our great guilt. Now, someone says, why Why we got to go there? Why do we got to talk about our, our guilt? Well, before the light of Christ can, can change you, you've got to understand your current condition of darkness. So how does God's law do that? And why is it the first step to having the light of Christ change you forever? Well, again, I want you to look at this encounter. And it begins in verse 2 of chapter 8. So if you did get your Bibles, we're going to read there together. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2, says this, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, he there being Jesus. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, I, wanna, I wanna stop there for just a moment because I want us to acknowledge what's really going on. Acknowledge what's actually taking place. Somehow, a Pharisee or two, we didn't give us the whole number, um, come the, to, to the temple. They bring, they drag this woman. Remember, Jesus is teaching in the temple, the most holiest place to God's people. And the Pharisees and scribes know that Jesus is there. They drag this woman that has been caught in the very act of adultery, you know, having the relations with a, a, this, a married man. Evidently, the, the Pharisees must have burst into in order to catch them in the act. Now, notice this. The guy's not there. The man's not there. He's not being held accountable. We don't see him anywhere. It's this double standard, which means that they are violating the very law of Moses that they were using in this moment against this woman. And they take her to, to, and drop her in front of Jesus. And, 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 and yes, she's guilty. Yes, she's sinful. Yes, she was, she was wrong. And they drag her out after being caught in the act. And it's very, very likely this woman was not well clothed, probably just a, a, a blanket wrapped around her, who knows. But they drag her into this public square of humiliation. And her humiliation must be greater than, than you or I could, could ever begin to imagine. Without a doubt, this is the darkest, most shame-filled moment in, in this woman's life. And... They ask Jesus as they've dropped her before him, they, they say to him, you know, the law says that we should stone her. And my guess is she probably wished that she was dead already. Look, look at what verse 5 says. They, it says that the Pharisees say, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now... When you go back and read it, and we're going to in just a minute, I want you to notice that it doesn't just say about a woman. But they're all like basically saying, we know what God says, so what do you say, Jesus? Verse 6, they say they were using this question so they might have some charge against him. Some translations say about verse 6, they were trying to trap him. Now, what the Pharisees were saying was true. It was a a half-truth about the law given to Moses. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 22. If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. In in the book of Deuteronomy, the law that God gave to Moses for his people, being caught in the act of adultery, you get stoned. And, And I'm not talking about the kind of recreational stone that some people may think of. This is you get stoned to death. And so what they were saying had truth to it. It was, it was part of the truth. It wasn't all of it because they had not brought the man if they had actually caught her. And they're like, Jesus, hey, Jesus, what do you say about this whole situation? Remember, they're trying to trap him. Because if he said, yeah, go ahead and stone her, then he would lose his reputation of be, as being loving. And if he said, on the other hand, no, no, just, just, just let, her, let her slide this one time. He would be sending a message that he thinks adultery is okay, that breaking the law of God given to Moses was okay. They're trying to trap him, trip him up, discredit him in front of the people. Well, Jesus is going to do something extraordinarily significant in this, in this kind of moment, this circumstance. But before we look at that, I want us to unpack just a little bit more deeply how it is that the law that God has given was given to expose our guilt. Look at this passage from Galatians. Paul writes to the church at Galatia. He says this about the law. Why then was the law given? He just asked this question. And he says this, it was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Now, please grab hold of this. The law that God gave was always connected to the promise, the promise of redemption. God didn't give it just randomly. It, was, it had a, a purpose towards redemption. Now, one of the things you and I both know is we live in a world where people do not like to ever admit guilt. We like to, we, we, we want to push it out and blame somebody else. It, one, of the, one of the things that I often get pushback from when, when I talk about it uh, is when I say something like, you know, we're really not good people. None of us. We're not good people. People say, well, Joe, wait a minute. You know, compared to some of those people, you know, I'm a good person and, and she's a good person and, you know, we're, we're good people in here. Well, friends, to understand what I'm saying, you got to look from the eyes of God. Because in the eyes of God, apart from Christ, we are not good people. We're, we're sinful, we're horribly sinful. And the law that God gave actually shines a bright light that displays our true guilt. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Let's let's go back to the Ten Commandments for a minute. I, I want to ask you if maybe you've ever broken, maybe you've ever broken one of these. For for instance, have you ever told a lie? Maybe just a little teeny-weeny lie, just to maybe get out of trouble or maybe to just escape from a socially awkward situation, but for for whatever the reason, you lied. Well, then apart from Christ, you are a what? You're a liar, big fat liar. How many of you have maybe ever taken something that, that didn't belong to you, actually stolen it? Some of you are saying, well, I've never. Well, let me ask you this question. How many River Bluff church pins do you have at your house? You know, or maybe in your car right now. Now, if you've stolen something, you're a what? You're a thief, right? How about, how about maybe ever taking God's name in vain? You ever done that? I know you don't want to admit it, but maybe before you became a Christian. And, and maybe I'm talking to some of you who are golfers or Carolina football fans, you know. Um, but if you have taken God's name in ma- vain, then the Bible says you're a blasphemer. L- let's, let's do another. Uh, how many of you have ever looked lustfully at someone else? M- maybe it's someone else's spouse. Maybe you've kind of fantasized about somebody else's spouse, you know, being your spouse. Some people try to spiritualize lusting by saying, you know, I'm not lusting. I'm just praising the Lord for a good thing. yes sure that's what you're doing I want to stop there I I could go on through all ten but let me let me just stop there and just break it down because I, I want all of us to kind of realize that apart from Christ if we've told a lie we're liars if we've stolen we're thieves if we've taken God's name in vain we're blasphemers and if according to Jesus if we've lusted in our hearts then we've committed adultery So what that means, if you're guilty of all four, you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous adulterer. When we start thinking in those terms, we begin to see how God's law exposes our guilt. And friends, this is just the church. This is just us here, you know? So let's be clear. Apart from Jesus, in God's sight, we're all wretched sinners, Now somebody says, well, why is it so important to understand this to get to this stuff about the light? Joe, let's get to this stuff about the light. Well, because until we see ourselves as sinners, we will never see our need for a savior who is the light of life. That's why God gave the law to expose our guilt. That day in the temple, the law clearly said, this woman, she's guilty. And that same law, looks at me and says, Joe, you're guilty. And it looks at you and says, you're guilty. But thank God this encounter doesn't end there. Yes, the law exposes our guilt, but here's, here's the second big life-changing truth that moves us to the light of life. In this encounter, we see the compassionate love of Jesus exposing God's great grace. The, the light of the world shines uh, an even greater light on God's grace than the law does on our guilt. The love of God through Jesus, is, it, it's bright. It illuminates the grace of God. And we see this being unpacked in verse 6. It goes on to tell us that this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Then look at this. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. They're trying to, to trick him, to trap him, to, to trip him up. But Jesus just kind of ignores their questions. He bends down and he starts doing what? He starts doodling in, in the dirt with his finger. He starts drawing or, or writing something. It's just kind of crazy. You know, they're like, Jesus, do we her or not? And he just kind of ignores them. He kneels down and he starts writing in the dirt with his finger. Now, what did he write? What did he draw? We don't know. We just don't know. Now, some scholars have speculated, based on some evidence in the text, that possibly he was writing down the sins of those men who were her accusers. Since Jesus was God in the flesh, it was possible that he could write down the record of their sins. And verse 7 says, they continue to ask. In other words, they keep badgering Jesus about it. And he stands up and he says to them, let him who is without what? Without what? Say it. Without sin. Let him who is without sin. Jesus is saying, if you've never sinned, go ahead, pick up a rock. Be the first to, 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 to throw a stone at her. In the Greek language, the, the word that gets translated, that phrase without sin, doesn't just mean never technically you know, sinned. It means not even having a heart that desires sin. See, Jesus never just focuses on the outward. Jesus is always uh, focused on what's going on in the human heart. And so he's saying, hey, Any of you who have never even thought about sinning, never wanted to do anything wrong, okay, you you have the right to pick up a stone and and get after it. See, Jesus is saying something really, really important, specifically aimed at these judgmental, arrogant Pharisees. Because they, they have the same problem that so often all of us have. And it's this. It is so incredibly easy for us to see the sin in others and avoid looking into our own sin. It's easy to pick others apart, you know, to say, well, look at her, or look at him, or I can't believe that. And never stopping to pay attention to our own struggle, our own sin. Jesus says, if you're without sin, then you can throw the stones. And Jesus here gets very serious, I believe, in verse 8. It says he bent down once more, began writing in, in the ground again. And in verse 9, it's beautiful, it says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. The accusers, they left. Jesus, it was just her and this woman and I believe possibly the crowd that was already there before they came in and so he's riding on the ground the, these men start leaving one by one walking away the older ones first I, we don't know for sure why the older ones left in that order why it started that way but it may have been that they had sinned a lot longer and they knew their list was longer and they were afraid Jesus would just keep writing they figured we better get out of here quick but the accusers are gone. And it's Jesus and this woman, this sinful woman caught in adultery, this woman in, in shame. Verse 10, it says Jesus stood up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Uh, please see the grace here. Has no one condemned you she's broken she's in shame darkest hour in her life and her response to jesus in verse 11 is no one sir and then jesus looked at this broken woman and he speaks the greatest grace filled love laced words over her in god's word Neither do I condemn you. Do you hear Jesus saying that? Neither do I condemn you. I, I just wonder if maybe, maybe somebody watching kind of came to this today and you're in a little bit of darkness of your own, a little bit of shame Maybe a little bit of agony over something that you did. Or maybe who you think you are. But friends, when you're in Christ Jesus, you need to know that there is no condemnation. That's what Romans 8, chapter 1, teaches us. Paul, Paul writing to the Christians at Rome Needed to remind them. And I believe that maybe he pulled that from knowing about this encounter with this, this woman caught in adultery and Jesus saying, neither do I condemn you. There's no condemnation in Jesus. His grace changes everything. You're not what you did. You're not who they say you are. You're who Jesus says you are. And because of his grace If you are in him in personal relationship with Jesus, no condemnation. Now, please don't don't get me wrong. There is an accuser. His name is Satan. Revelation chapter 12 calls him the accuser of our brothers. And that includes you sisters too. It includes all of us. And you can mark it down. He's going to come and he's going to, end. he's going to hurl insults. He's going to hurl accusations against you. Some of you know that voice all too well, like I have known it in my lifetime. It's a voice that says, after what you did, God could never love you. After how badly you messed up, God, God could never completely forgive you after all you've done. You, God could never use you to make a difference in the world after all that you've done. The, the, what what your, your spouse knows about you now, your marriage can never be fixed. You know, it, it, you blew it big time. It's over. Your life is done. Your kids, they can never respect you. It's, it, it's just, it's too late for you. Friends, that's the voice of the accuser. That is not the voice of the Savior. The voice of the Savior says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in that kind of darkness. You don't have to live with that voice. And so he says to the woman, where are your accusers? I've sent them away. And neither do I condemn you. No condemnation for those who are in a personal relationship with Jesus. Friends, whenever, whenever that accuser comes and accuses you about your past or even your present, you just remind him about his future. The Bible says he's going down. And here's why. Because darkness never defeats light. Was she guilty? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did she deserve punishment? Yes. But his love shined brighter than the the shame and guilt. God's grace, the light of it is brighter than anything else, brighter even than the law, because of love, the love of God. She deserved it, but he didn't give it. I deserve what the law, the full measure of the law, but he didn't give it to me. If you're in Christ... You, he'll not give it to you. Though before Christ, you deserved it. In Christ, he will not give you what the law demands. We're incredibly sinful, guilty in the eyes of a holy God. Never forget that apart from Christ. And until we see ourselves as sinners, we'll never look. We'll never look out in need of a savior. So God's law exposes our guilt, but the love of Jesus exposes something better something more brilliant and brighter, the grace of God even more. And Jesus looks at this broken woman, shamed by every person within miles. And Jesus drives her condemners away. Where are they now? Neither do I condemn you. But then please, please notice what Jesus says to her next. Does Jesus say, okay, now that you're forgiven... Go back out there and never try to do that again. Is that what he says? No. He, he doesn't say, hey, look, I'm, since I'm Jesus, you know, I, I understand your story. I get that, you know, your, your father abandoned you when you were a little girl, and that's created this hole in your heart, and you're constantly looking for love in the wrong ways, in the wrong places with looking for that kind of love you know, from men, so I get that you're gonna mess up, but from now on, just do your best not to sleep with married men. Is that what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say that. And in the same way, he doesn't say that to us about our own darkness. Jesus doesn't say to men, hey, uh, look, I, I, I'm forgiving you that, that lusting pornography habit that you have you're probably going to turn back to it again. It's just what men do. You red blood it, you know. Jesus does not say that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, I know you got this problem with gossiping because, look, I see you really don't have a, a real life, so you just got to tear down other people. And so, you know, just, just try not to gossip about the people in your church. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, I, I know it was a difficult election and that you de- disagree with everything that the other party believes in and it's, it's, it's hard for you not to put every thought that comes into your mind out on social media, you know, when you're trashing people and with other political views. I, I understand that you have to sometimes use harsh words to get your political points across. Jesus does not say that. Look what Jesus said to this woman. And it's the same thing that he says to you and me about our darkness. In verse 11, he says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says next, go and from now on sin no more. I actually prefer the way the NIV translates this verse. It says, go now and leave your life of sin. Either either translation to me indicates urgency. Go now. From, From this moment on, go not later. Do it now. You can be free. You don't have to live in in this dark space anymore. Go now. See, with that same urgency that Jesus spoke to this woman, he speaks to us. Go now. You can be free. Why would you want to live in this darkness? You don't have to be locked down in a dark world of lust. Go now. The loving grace of God is here saying to all of us, go now, walk away from this, walk out of darkness into light now. The Bible says that today is the day. Now is the day of salvation. Go now, get out of your shame. Walk out of, away from your self-hatred, walk out of the condemnation of those other voices. You don't have to live like that anymore because the light of the world, he's on the scene He's here for you, with you. And friends, whenever light shows up, darkness flees because light always defeats darkness. Go now. Jesus says, do it now. There's this urgency. I really believed that while I was preparing this message that somebody who was going to watch this needs to hear, needs to believe, needs to know you can be set free out of your darkness now. You can, you can be healed. You can be changed because the light always pushes the darkness out. Yes, the law exposes our guilt, but the love of Jesus shines a brighter light on God's grace. And here's the third thing that I want you to see from this passage. And it's really the whole message today. The captivating light of Christ Jesus exposes a great hope for us. When you see the light of Christ that he shines on your darkness, you'll have hope. You'll you'll see hope. See, Jesus, who's the light of the world, exposes God's great hope that we have in him. He, He lights that up. In verse 11, Jesus said, go now and leave your life of sin. See, Satan would like you to read that and think Jesus is just kind of being preachy, you know, here. Because the next thing that Jesus says, I don't believe that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus Jesus was saying, you don't have to live like this anymore. He's not just about the rules. He's about a relationship, about your life. You don't have to hurt like you're hurting. You don't have to live in the shame that you're living with. You don't don't have to live in that self-defeating, self-condemning, self-hatred. The light of the world is here for you. Life can be different for you now, so go now. Sin no more. And here's why. Jesus spoke again and he said this in verse 12. Because I'm the light of the world. And whoever follows me will what? Will not walk in darkness. You don't have to walk in darkness. But you can have the light of life. Your life can be different. Think think about this. When Jesus looked at that woman that day and said, neither do I condemn you, at that moment, he moved from just being the light of the world to something very personal. He became the light of her world Her personal light that drove away the darkness, that drove out the accusation. Where are your accusers? They're gone. And, friends, in the very same way, Jesus wants to do that today through through the grace and the presence and the power of a good, good God. He's the light. And when you personalize this message, Jesus is no longer just a theoretical light or a theological light. But in, in that moment, he can, be, he can be the light for your world. And when he becomes the light of your world, everything begins to change because darkness is always defeated by light. It's always pushed out. And the good news is when you believe that, it becomes personal. It becomes real. It becomes intimate for you. Jesus, he's not some out there kind of God. He becomes your personal savior, your light in your darkness. And when you know that, you receive the freedom away from all those condemning voices in this world, even freedom from the voice of Satan that tells you over and over again, you can't, you won't, you'll never. Those get silenced in the presence of God and his great grace. You can have that hope. Jesus says to you, whoever follows me, you don't have to walk in darkness. Yes, the law exposes our guilt even still. We're incredibly guilty without Jesus. Never missed that. But his love for you exposes God's grace and the light of Christ gives you hope. It's the hope we have in him that no matter how dark your world might seem right now, Jesus is the light To show you the way out of that darkness. He is the way out of that darkness. His light will illuminate that. His grace can forgive your sins. His presence can bring healing to your shame. But Jesus said, you got to follow him. You got to choose it. See, Jesus is that good. He is the light of the world. If you're watching this today... And, and your world feels dark right now. Maybe you've been into something that you shouldn't be in. Maybe it's still something plaguing from your past that you just can't get out of your mind. Maybe you're living in the darkness of condemnation and shame. Maybe you're plagued by dark words that someone else has spoken over you that are lies that just keep weighing you down. You're not who they say you are. You're who God says you are. And if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. So those condemning messages come from someone else. And maybe like this woman, maybe you've recently been caught in something, you've been exposed, maybe you've been publicly shamed. The light of the world can push back those other voices. So that what you hear mostly is the voice of Jesus saying, neither do I condemn you. Go now. Leave this life of sin. You can be set free. Not just from the penalty of sin, but from its powerful grip on your life. That's what the light of the world does. You know, back in the opening of John's gospel in John chapter 1, It's not going to come up on your screen or anything like that. You can go look at it later. But John starts his gospel message talking about Jesus being the word of God in the flesh. He's the light of the world, but he's also God's word. And God's word acts as light in our lives. The psalmist who wrote the 32nd Psalm speaks of a great time of darkness in his own life. Again, you can look this up later, but in Psalm 32, verse 3, it says, when I, con- when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. It caused me to groan all day long. But then when you get to verse 5, he says, Finally, I confessed all my sin, and you forgave me. And all my guilt, it, it, was-, it was gone. See, friends, the word of God that lights away out of your darkness... Tells us right here in his word that this journey out of darkness into light is best walked out in biblical community. Don't try to walk out of your darkness alone. You will, you will so often fail and end back up in darkness, sometimes with a deeper darkness. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Jesus' half-brother James to write these words in James 15, in, excuse me, in James 5.16. It says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. See, the light of the world wants to bring you out of the darkness, out of the hiddenness, and into the fellowship of his marvelous life. Because, you know, so often none of us can stay out of darkness on our own, no matter how hard we try. Many of you are still feeling overwhelmed by the darkness of this pandemic. You just kind of feel like the whole world is a dark place and and you're in need of some hope. You need the light of the world to become your light of your world. Even if you're locked down, what you need is more of his presence. You need to experience it. He's present with you, he says. You need his hope. You need that hope to fill you. Friends, you'll find more of that hope as you go to him in times of prayer. Increase your your prayer time, your time alone with God. Increase your time spent in in his precious holy word, especially reading and listening to the gospel so you get to know the light of the world personally and intimately, who Jesus is. See, getting to intimately know him as your light in dark times, it changes everything. And and it starts or, or restarts for all of us when we just go to him and say, Jesus, oh Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, this is what makes my heart ache. Jesus, this is what my darkness looks like today. And his promise is you'll not have to walk in darkness. He he will come to you as the light of the world. He will become your light of life, your life. And he will fill you with the hope that you can have in the Savior of the world, the light of the world, Jesus. You want that hope released in your life? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we we come now. We come in in great need of you. We come all of us with our own our own darkness. We all carry darkness in our souls. Some a darkness deeper than others, yes. But we need to be set free from our darkness. So we come to you, Jesus. We come in need of you. We need you, Jesus, to shine a brighter light of your grace, of God's grace, that's greater than the law that points out our guilt. We need, we need that greater light, Jesus, from you that fills us with hope. And so, Jesus, today I come trusting again that your name itself is light that in you darkness is driven away condemnation is driven away our accusers are pushed back that darkness goes when you show up Jesus we trust that's who you are and who you want to be in our lives not just not just for the, the woman caught in adultery but those of us who have been caught in our own sin and are still trapped in its shame and guilt Jesus we know that your name, that it can't be overcome, that that darkness never overcomes light. We know, God, that you, your name, Jesus, brings light to darkness, calms the storms that we're in, that we're facing. And so we just come now, Jesus, to worship you. We come to, to declare our devotion to you. We come crying out that we need you to light our lives today. Maybe someone's going to do that for the very first time. You just cry out to Jesus, Jesus, I'm tired of my darkness. I'm coming making you my Lord. I turn from my darkness to your marvelous light. Receive me, Jesus. Jesus says he, he us, he receives you and he will call upon his name with a heart that's repenting. A heart that's genuine in pursuit of him. And you will hear Jesus tell you neither do I condemn you. Go now. Sin no more. Step into my marvelous light. Jesus we come. We come to worship you. We come to praise your name now. Sin your name we pray.